Facebook.com, Waters Church page, and everybody listening on YouTube now, or everybody on SoundCloud who's listening to the post-production audio of this Deep End Podcast. I'm so glad that you are here with us. My name is Tim, and uh, we are going to talk about something very important today. I hope you join us and stay with us the whole time. Uh, you, as a Christian, uh, need to know, uh, the, you need to get to the point where you know what you are called to do so well, and you are so committed to it, that you refuse to do all the other things that you may have the right to do, but could get in the way of what you are called to do. Today, we discuss that and more on The Deep End. The Deep End Podcast. Welcome to The Deep End Podcast, brought to you by Waters Church in North Attleboro, Massachusetts. The Deep End is where we go deeper into the scriptures to empower our walk with God. If you're watching on Facebook Live, we're glad you joined us, and we encourage you to be a part of the conversation in the comments below. If you're listening on SoundCloud or your podcast app, be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Let's go live to Pastor Tim Hatch as we get started with today's podcast. This is The Deep End. Hello, everybody. Welcome in to The Deep End Podcast, special edition today. I got news for you. I'm do I'm flying solo this Wednesday afternoon. It is just me and you. Just the two of us. Just the two of us. I didn't even have time to get that sample down. But anyway, just the two of us, me and you. I'm so excited about today. I hope you are too. Uh, the reason why it is just the two of us because I want to talk about you. I want to talk about you, but I want to talk about how you should see yourself. And so we're going to get to a very important topic of conversation in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 today. Uh, if you got a Bible, go there and read along with us. If not, it's okay. I'll read all the passages, uh, relevant passages myself for you. Every week, uh, every week on, on Wednesday, we gather together on the Deep End Podcast to dive deeper into the scriptures, and we are going chapter by chapter, section by section through 1 Corinthians. And we have already reached 1 Corinthians 9. We are getting there. There is 16 chapters. We're only going to talk about 15 of them. But we're going to talk about 1 Corinthians 9 today, and here's the title of today's talk, and I hope you, um, I hope you pay attention, because this is such a good talk, and this is why we're doing, me and you, just the two of us. The title of the talk is, Surrendering My Rights for What's in Sight. What's ultimately in sight for your life? Do you know what you have been called to do as a Christian? Now, as a Christian, there are some general things that we're all called to do. We're all called to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're all called to love our neighbor. We're all called to be salt and light and all those things. But what is the nuance of your calling? What is the specific designation that God has placed upon your life? Do you know that? So what is in your sight? What is in your vision for your life as a Christian? If you don't know it, you will aimlessly wander this earth until you die. And God does not want that for you, especially as one of his children. This is especially for Christians, okay? Christians, do you understand what God has called you to do in this great thing he is doing in the world, which is spreading the message of Jesus and the love of Jesus everywhere? Oh, by the way, if you're on Facebook and you're on the comment section, please ask questions as we go along in this talk. I want questions. Uh, we have Maddie in the studio with me. At the end, she will be reading the comments that, or the questions, I'm sorry, that you submit in the comments section. I love, com I love questions. I love questions. So ask questions. I want to answer your questions and we want to help you grow in Christ. So back to my question. Do you know what you've been called, gifted, and chosen to do in God's family? Second Peter 1.10 says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm two things, your calling and your election. Your calling and your election. Be diligent to confirm these things. If you do, he says, you will never fall. 
I love what he says there because he says, Peter says, look, if you know, if you know for sure that you are a Christian and where you are to function in the family of God, and you know those two things for sure, you'll never fall. You'll never waver. Isn't that a cool promise? To know what God has called you to do, I would submit to you, is probably the second most important thing you can know. The first and most important thing you could ever know is that Jesus Christ died for your sins, and by faith in him, you are a f- member of the family of God. But the second and most second most important thing that you can know is where do I fit in God's family? What has God gifted me, called me, and chosen me to do? So today, I want to talk about that. Today's talk ties into last week's talk, because last week, if you remember, if you were here, we talked about gray areas. And last week, I summed it up by saying, when it comes to gray areas, and this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, when it comes to gray areas, God says, be more concerned with others than your own personal rights. So as a Christian, you have rights to do a lot of things that the Bible doesn't necessarily prohibit. Okay, And we talked about some of those gray areas last week, and some of you even submitted some areas that I didn't even think about. Like dancing can be an issue for some Christians and and not an issue for some other Christians. And uh, drinking alcohol without getting drunk is an issue for some Christians and not an issue for other Christians. And on and on and on on those go. If you didn't watch that last week, check it out on SoundCloud or on our podcast, and you can pick it up last week and listen later. But what we really resolved around was, look, your relationship to other Christians is so much more important than your personal rights. And I want to say, we live in a country that is consumed with rights. Everybody wants to know, what's my right? And we've become a community or a a country where rights are now becoming demands. And when you focus your life on what you have the right to do, before you know it now, your rights uh, uh, supersede everything else, even other people's, um, you know, other people's importance in your life, so that you become so consumed with what you have the right to do, you start becoming demanding to everybody around you. And I want to say that that's just not the Christian life. That's just not what God has called us to do as his people. And Paul gets really firm in 1 Corinthians 8. He says, listen, if you do these things that other Christians have a problem with in front of those Christians, you are sinning against God, you are sinning against Christ, and you are sinning against your brother. Think about that. Think about that. You might be doing something that you are legally and spiritually allowed to do according to the word of God. But when somebody is around you who has a problem with you doing that, you're actually causing that person to stumble and fall, and you're singing, sinning against them. So even though what you're doing might not be a sin, it is sin when it causes that person to stumble, and it's a sin when it causes that person to fall. So don't drink alcohol around somebody who's recovering from alcohol. Uh, don't, 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 um, don't get a tattoo if somebody has a serious problem with that in your family or whatever. You know, Listen to one another. Your relationships with other people matter way more than your rights. You can have all the rights in the world and be lonely. And God doesn't want you to be lonely and all alone, all right? He wants you to have a family. And the family is the family of God. It's the best family on the face of the earth. How does this tie in with this week? Because this week, here's what we're going to talk about. This week, don't let what you have the right to do and what you have the right to be damage what God has called you and created you to do. So you got a family in God in the family of Jesus Christ, and then you've got a calling in God to serve Jesus Christ with your gifts, your talents, your abilities all that God has put in your life. If you don't realize what you were called to do, you will give yourself to all kinds of things that are not your calling. This will damage and take time away from what you're called to do. 
So again, I believe you have a calling in God. I believe you have a purpose, and I want you to fulfill your purpose. In fact, that's what Water Church exists for, to see you live your purpose in God, to see you grow in the talents, gifts, and opportunities that God has given you, whether they be in our church building or in our, one of our small groups or beyond our church building, building a business, working in the schools, working in industry, working in the marketplace, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to him and fulfill your calling in Christ. But you've got to resolve this in your life. You've got to resolve this. Am I going to be a rights person or am I going to be a called person? Am I going to be somebody who's obsessed with what I have the right to do? This is my right. I have the right because God doesn't say it's, not, it's wrong so I can do it. And you can, you can live like that. But I think it's better and far more profitable to be a called person, to be a person who's obsessed with my calling, to know this is what God has created me, put me on this planet to do. When you get to that, I'm telling you, life will be so much better for you no matter what situation you are in. Okay, so I've got a question. i got a question for you because this is a question that's going to really dig deep into this topic. What do you not do that you could do solely because you understand what you were called to do. So, like, think about an athlete. The, the Olympics just got over. I didn't watch the Olympics. Maybe you watched the Olympics. But these Olympians, they can do the most amazing things. They can ski down these hills at 70 miles per hour. They can jump 45 meters in the air. They can do these twists and turns up in the air on ice skates. I mean, I rollerblade, and it's hard enough for me to go straight rollerblading. Uh, but I just think about these athletes, and what did they do to get there? What did they do to get there? They didn't wake up and, and flip and fly all over the place. What did they do? They worked. And, and they, not, they not only worked, but they said, look, this is what I know I should be doing, so I'm going to avoid all these other things that I shouldn't be doing, even though I could do them. How many nights did they sacrifice of going out with friends to go back to the rink or go back to the slopes and ski and, and, and skate? How many times did they say no to, pro, to opportunities that are fine, but they weren't profitable to what they felt in their heart they had to do um, athletically. And I think about this, if athletes in our Olympic team are willing to make all those sacrifices for a medal that is about this big, and I don't even think it's fully made out of gold anymore, <laughs> and it's handed to them, and they stand on a podium, and they listen to the national anthem for, for 1.2 minutes, and then they get down, and it's over, and they go back home, and they didn't make any money doing it, and they put all that effort and all that sacrifice into those things, how much more, Christian? How much more should you think about, I have a calling. My God has put in me on this earth for a reason, not to win a gold medal necessarily. Maybe, maybe, maybe not, but not maybe to miss, win a gold medal, but to attain the prize to which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Like you have got this. You've got to get this in your heart. You've got to get this in your spirit. And so I want to say this to you very clearly. You have freedom in Christ to do many, many things. But when you have your calling in Christ, you will learn to eliminate many of the things that you can do or could do for the things that you should do. So can, we, can I help you understand Christian freedom for a moment? Christian freedom, it is one of the most abused things in the church today. Uh, no, number one I want to say about Christian freedom, a Christian is free in the truest sense of the word. You are free from sin. You are free from death. You are free from eternal punishment. You are free from the wrath of God. You are free from all the things that are important to be free from. Okay, you might not be free from your family, you might not be free from your country, you might not be free from your whatever, your citizenship status that you don't like but you really want to change, or whatever, wherever you're watching this from. You might not be free from a certain job because you have to work at that job because there are no other, other, other opportunities for you at another job. I understand that. Those are secondary freedoms, trust me. The greatest freedom that you can have in your life is freedom from the wrath of God, freedom from hell, freedom from eternal death. 
When you are free from those things, you are free in the truest sense of the word. However, number two, a Christian is not free to do whatever they want to do. A Christian is not free for, to do whatever they think or want to do because you will think about doing things that are ultimately might subvert your purpose and calling in Christ. You might think about doing a lot of things and wasting a lot of your time doing something that's totally allowable in Scripture but totally unprofitable for your future. So you're not free to do whatever you think you should do. And that is an important contingency about Christian freedom I think we avoid and we need to remember. But thirdly, a Christian, therefore, is free to do what God intended them to do. You are God's child. You are God's son, God's daughter, God's property. Your body is his. Your life is his. The times of your life are in his hands. And the gifts that are in you are in you because of him. All those things come from God, everything. John the Baptist said, a man can only receive what is given him from above. He knew that he could only do what God had called him to do and what God had gifted him to do. The same is true for me. The same is true for you. So no, you're not free to do whatever you think is right. You're free to do whatever God has created you to do. And when you know what God has created you to do, you will be very, very happy. You'll be happy as a clam. I think about a fish. A fish is happy and alive as long as it is in the water. Take a fish out of water, it suffocates and dies. Take a Christian out of his calling in Christ and he will suffocate and die. He could look like he's free for a moment, flopping around on the beaches of enjoyment and pleasures that have nothing to do with his calling, but ultimately he will die. So too, you, Christian, have got to stay in the calling, stay in the water of God's calling in your life and learn to enjoy it, learn to appreciate it, learn to say, I'm not worried about what other people do. I'm worried about what God's called me to do. So let's get to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, shall we? Because here's what Paul says. He's going to talk about himself and how he, as an apostle, surrendered his rights for his calling. This is Paul the Apostle sharing. I love this about Paul. He's always sharing himself as a personal testimony. He's always saying, look, I'm going to wear it on my sleeve. I'm going to show you what I'm really about. And so he's always using himself as an example. And I think I appreciate that from him. I try to do that as well on the weekends. You probably hear about me all the time, talking about my kids, talking about my own failures, talking about my own frailties. I do that because we're all human. We're all in this together. And you need to understand that I'm not a perfect saint. I'm a human being just like you, has struggles and, and hangups like everybody else. So too was Paul. But Paul had made a lot of good decisions, and we can learn a lot from what he decided to do. So he says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, he says, am I not free? He's like, I know I'm free, and you know I'm free. He says, am I not an apostle? Of course I am. He says, haven't I seen the Lord? And, and we know this from Acts chapter 9, he saw the Lord Jesus Christ in the flesh, in person, as he was trying to kill Christ's followers. Christ got a hold of his life and turned him around 100%. But then he says this, he says um, in verse 2, if to others I am not an apostle, I am definitely to you, Corinthians, because he started the church in Corinth. And then he says this, you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. In other words, you exist as a church because I came to you and preached the gospel. You want to know my apostleship is real? You exist as Christians. Case closed. Then he says this, but I wanted to, I want to defend myself. Verse 3, this is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have the right to refrain from working, who have no right, I'm sorry, to refrain from working for a living? What is he talking about? He's talking about the fact that as an apostle, he has the absolute right, like Peter and the other apostles and the other brothers, to, do a, to make a living preaching the gospel. He's talking about the fact that he, Paul the apostle, has a right to make a living as an apostle. So he says, look, I understand I have that right. Peter makes money from the gospel. The other disciples make money from the gospel. And, and he's going to get into this a little bit deeper just so that 
you know, for future generations, they'll understand that, yes, pastors should be paid by the church they preach to. And so we have to digress for a moment. Then we'll get back to callings and, and rights in a moment. So just stay with me. Verse 7, he says, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? The answer is no one. No one um, fights a war on behalf of a state when the state doesn't pay them. The state pays them to defend the state. Okay, so no one serves as a soldier as, as at his own expense. And he says, who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruits? No one. Farmers plant a vineyard and they get some fruit and they eat some and they sell some. He says this, who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? And the answer again is no one. A farmer milks his cows, sells some milk, drinks some milk. Then he says, do I, do, I not, um, do I say these things from a human authority? Does not the law also say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it is treading out the grain. That's from Deuteronomy 25 verse 4. And then he says, is God concerned about the oxen? Well, he was and he still is somewhat, but ultimately that is pointing to a, a more important truth for ministers of the gospel. He says, does he not certainly say this for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in the hope of the thr and the thresher thresh in the hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much that we reap material things from you? Okay, let me sum it up. Paul's saying, basically, that preachers and pastors and church leaders uh, have every right to earn a living from the people that they preach, teach, and lead. Now, this is why, this is the scriptural justification for paying your preacher. Now, I, I don't need to fight for this because I'm very well accommodated for by this church. I'm not fighting for it, but I am going to tell you this. And I want to go off on a little tangent here because a lot of Christians don't get this. A lot of Christians don't get this. Some people think that the pastor or the church doesn't really need money, so don't give them money. All the, all the church wants is money and all that kind of stuff. And we are in a money series, so this is very pertinent to what we're talking about. Some people have a real uh, dishonorable view of the church. They really do. They don't see the benefit of the church, so they see anytime the church talks about money, oh, they just want my money and, and shame on the church for wanting money. Okay, well, listen, that is a fundamental error in viewing the church. It's a fundamental error to see the church as unprofitable to a society. Uh, you've got to read human history, you've got to read Christian history, you've got to read uh, civilization history, and you've got to take note of this. Wherever the gospel of Jesus Christ has taken root in men's hearts, society has been safer, society has been better, society has been freer, society has been more equal, and wherever Christianity has been pushed away and ousted from a society, that society has slowly and steadily declined. Okay, case in point, the seven churches in Revelation that, that Jesus talks about in Revelation 1, 2, and 3, the seven churches that Jesus rebukes and says, you got to get your act right. I think actually six out of seven, he tells them, you got to get your act right. There was one that was doing just fine. But he warns them, he says, look, if you don't get your act right, if you don't come back to me and get you know, repentant and do the things that you were doing when we first started this movement in your city, I will remove that lampstand from you and your light will be gone. And those churches, unfortunately, over the course of history in the first three centuries, did not listen. And they kept going in the way that they were going. And they disregarded the importance of the church and the word of God. And today, those seven cities in Asia Minor, actually in Turkey, are all Muslim cities. Muslim cities where women are not as free as men. Muslim cities where men dominate over women. Muslim cities where you get executed if you leave the Muslim faith. Listen to me very carefully. You need to support your church because your church is a benefit to your community and society. 
You do not want a president who does not have any scruples. You do not want a governor who does not know that lying is a sin. You do not want school committee members who do not understand that life is a gift from God. But yet we are seeing that more and more and more in our country. And then we are looking at the results. We are seeing the fruit. We are seeing currently today in America in 2018, the fruit of America who said to God in the 1960s, no, thank you. That's what we're seeing. Let me just talk about something that's very pertinent to today. There's people that want to blame the Parkland school shooting on, on guns. There's people that want to blame the Parkland school shooting on the sheriffs. There's people that want to blame the Parkland, Parkland school shooting on mental illness, all these, all these things. And we could find blame for all these things. Do you know, do you know that there were no public school shootings before the 1960s? What happened in the 1960s? We told students no more prayer, no more Bible in the 1960s. Is it any wonder that we're seeing this chaos in our public schools today? Because we've raised up entire generations now, three or four generations in our public school systems with no regard for God, no teaching them about the scriptures and no prayer. Like you, you want to now, this is, this is actually kind of humorous. I heard this from some teacher who said, you want me, a teacher, an anonymous public school teacher said, let me get this straight. You want me to go and teach teenagers uh, about life and, and freedom and, and the birds and the bees and all these things uh, with the chance that I might get shot one day and you want me to do this without prayer? <laughs> the point is, when, when we take God away from our society, when we take the gospel away from our society, the only people that suffer is our society. That's it. And so you look at our government, you look at our society, you look at our leaders, you look at the people. Where's the scruples? Why all this mental illness? Why all these problems? Why all this hatred and violence and, and, and wickedness? And, and, and you can trace it right back to the 1960s. It was a decision passed on by the Supreme Court because one atheist woman in the early part of the last century decided that she didn't like the fact that we had God in public schools. We, did, we had prayer in public schools. She was offended by this. One woman named Madeline, uh, Madeline Murray O'Hare had a problem with it. And so the whole nation sweeps God right out of our public school system. And today we have kids shooting each other. I'm telling you, friends, you might not agree with this, but I am making a valid point. I'm telling you, look it up, do research, and you'll see. Another inconvenient truth about the school shootings, and I have to just cover this because this is pertinent to our, t our, our, our current uh, news and current events. This is a very inconvenient truth. Fatherlessness. Fatherlessness. Look it up and you will see every school shooter except one was raised by someone other than his biological father. And many of them had no father figure at all. Now, at the end of the book of Malachi, in the last verses of the Old Testament, it says that God will restore the hearts of the children back to their fathers and the hearts of the fathers back to their children, lest he come and strike the land with a curse. What is he saying? Fatherlessness. Fatherlessness can curse a land. Fatherlessness can curse a society. This is not an indictment on single moms. Single moms are heroes because they're the ones that stick by their kids. This is an indictment on men who will not care for the kids they create. This is an indictment on boys who want to stay perpetual adolescents and play video games and not take responsibility for themselves. This is an indictment on perpetual adolescents that we kind of continually promote in this culture. We've got to teach boys how to be boys, how to be men. Not boys, men. We gotta teach boys how to grow up and take responsibility. And if you wanna have sex, well, get married and have sex and have children and become a grown up. And if you have children, you, you stick by them. If you get married to a woman, you stick by her, you honor her, you respect her. You know, just, it came to me, I just thought about this. My wife and I were watching an episode of the, of the show uh, on Food Network. It's called Chopped. 
And I love this. I love the show. I hope you like the show. It's a cool show. Three chefs compete or four chefs compete for uh, this $10,000 prize. They're going to make an appetizer, a, a main course and a dessert. One of the contestants kept talking about his father. His father lambasted him. His father was a military father. He, he didn't believe in him. He would always put him down. Nothing was good enough for his father. And the whole show, this guy is talking about, I know I'm going to fail because I just hear the voice of my father in my back, in the back of my mind. I know I'm going to fail because my father was so hard on me. He was such a perfectionist. And, and my wife and I literally were like coming to tears over this because this guy cannot, literally cannot function because his father's voice of, of, of uh, you're not good enough, his father's voice of imperfection, his father's voice of, of, of standards so high he cannot reach them was still in the back of his mind. This is a grown man. Fathers. We need fathers. We need, we need dads. And it's the most precious gift of my life to be a father. And I know I joke about my kids and I know I joke about that, but I joke. I love being a father. I love my kids. You've got to teach your kids to love God. You've got to teach your kids they're valuable to God. This will change society. But where do we learn how to be fathers? We learn how to be fathers from the father, the heavenly father. The God of heaven who cares for us and loves us so much so he will sacrifice whatever it takes to let us know how much he loves us. And so when I say all this, okay, I'm still on a tangent and I get this and I'm totally off topic, but I'm just trying to tell you that you don't learn father, fatherhood from the public schools. You don't learn fatherhood from government. You don't learn fatherhood from stricter laws. You learn fatherhood from the gospel of Jesus Christ that teaches us about a true, loving, heavenly Father. And I'm telling you, when you have churches in a town, whatever the town's problems are, and that church starts to win people to Christ and starts to see the gospel change lives, including the lives of moms and dads who need to know how to raise their kids, I'm telling you, that town will benefit. And they won't even, many times, put it together about how come they're getting so much better as a society. It's because of the church. Jesus described the church as the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And, and in Jesus' day, salt was not something that you sprinkled on your Parmesan, on, on, your, on your chicken parm dinner. It was, it was the thing that you packed on meat to preserve it and make it last longer. And if you want your society to last, if you want your society to stay fresh, if you don't want your society to spoil... You want the church there. You want a gospel-preaching, Jesus-honoring, word-believing, uncompromising church that loves Jesus and will love their community because they love Jesus. That is why Water Church exists, and that is why you should support us financially. That is why you should give to Kingdom Builders on March 17th and 18th. That is why you should not get all upset because we are talking about money and tithing in this series. The church is a tremendous benefit to your society. You may not see it, just like salt. You ever sprinkle salt on your, on your food? After? You don't see it. It disappears. And a little salt, just a little salt, makes the meal come alive. A little salt keeps that meat preserved. And a little gospel preaching, a little church in a tiny town in America can change that town. I have scores of evidence behind me in human history to prove that it's true. And we've got to see it again. Otherwise, we lose. Our schools lose. Our students lose. No, it's not the guns. No, it's not the sheriffs. Our society is getting corrupted inside and outside because we have lost. We have lost respect for the church of Jesus Christ. 
and the necessity of his word being preached into our hearts. How could we make laws that are right if we don't know what is right? And only God ultimately knows what is right. Okay, tangent over, (laughs) but it was a good tangent. He says in verse 11, let me put it back on the screen. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much that we reap material things from you? In other words, pay for the word of God to be preached into your life. Then he says, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple, he's going back to the Old Testament in Leviticus, those who are employed in the temple get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In other words, the Levites, the priests, who served in the temple, much like pastors in the church today, they would take the offerings of the people, and they would eat some, and they would give some to God in fire. And so, so he uses this. Paul uses this Old Testament example as a New Testament principle for paying your pastors, paying people to lead the church, grow the church, build the church. Okay? Um, And then he says in verse 14, he says, in the same way the Lord commanded, the Lord Jesus commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Okay, you can find this in Matthew 10.10 and Luke 10.7 where Jesus says, as he sends out his 72 to go and preach the gospel, he says, um, receive whatever they give you. And then he says, because the laborer is worthy of his wages. When he says the laborer is worthy of his wages, he's not talking about masons and contractors and lawyers and doctors. He's talking about those who preach the gospel. They are working. Some people say to me, Pastor, what do you do all week? You, you, you work one, week, one day a week. No, I, I, work, I work many days a week. I work six days a week. And um, we prepare these talks. We prepare the word. The word has to be interpreted. The word has to be ministered to you. We do it creatively. You see what happens on the weekend. You see the order of the service. You see all the intricate details. It is a very creative space. It is a very Christ, I believe, honoring space. It takes a lot of work to make that happen. We have people sitting here in this room with me making this happen. I cannot do this alone. I need help. We need people who are skilled and gifted and called to help get the word of God into your heart. Listen to me right now. You're listening on Facebook right now because because people did work to get it up on Facebook. I don't know about Facebook. I'm not on Facebook. <laughs> I only know how to preach the word. And these wonderful young people around me right now, they help you hear it through the magic of Facebook and the internet. And it's wonderful. But your tithes and your giving help make that happen. Amen. All right, so he says, listen, it's, it's worth it. You, you might not see it, but it's worth it. And, um, and when you give to the, to the church, it, uh, it promotes your life because you get blessed by the preaching of the word of God. Um, he said, uh, I was, I was thinking about this this past weekend. Uh, let me just give you a little story. This is, this is really cool. Uh, a couple of, about a month and a half ago, a, a woman, a mother came to me and she was heartbroken for her daughter. Her daughter was in a terrible relationship and she needed Christ. And, uh, the mother said, would you pray for me? And, I, and she just caught me in the hallway and I said, yes, absolutely. I'll pray for you. And I prayed for her. I prayed for her daughter. I prayed, for, I prayed that her daughter would get out of that relationship, get away from that guy. And nothing could change her daughter's mind about being with that guy. I prayed, I prayed. We prayed in Jesus' name. Please, Lord, deliver her, set her free from that stuff. Well, do you know what? This past weekend, I met that daughter. She was at our church. And she's, and she's out of the relationship and she's out of the house and she's not getting um, abused anymore by that guy. And that, that girl's life is changed now. That girl's life is delivered and, and, and set up now for a future how? Because there was a church. There was a church. There was a, a person there ready to pray in Jesus' name for the deliverance of that girl. 
from that bondage. And now that girl's life can be changed. And think about the implications of a life that's, that's changed from, from abuse to joy and peace and freedom. Now she can raise children in joy, peace, and freedom and not in fear. Now she can procreate according to God's ways instead of the world's ways. Now she can live productively instead of um, under the bondage of what might happen to her at home. It changes the world. Friends, I would not be doing this business if I didn't believe it. The gospel changes the world. And when you give to our church and when you fund it, you help make that happen. Think about the 15 baptisms over the last two weekends and one in Milford. Baptisms changed lives, changed lives. You pay to make that happen. You put money in, we make it happen because of your gracious giving. And I wanted to say something. We had a lot of people line up at our giving kiosk last weekend after the message. A lot of you got convicted. That was awesome. And I, I want to say that um, if you're ready to start that 90-day ch- tithing challenge, you don't have to wait until this weekend. You can go on to waterschurch.org give and give now. And you can give through the text to give number. It's all there on our giving page. You'll see it. And, and some of you, you, you know, the old-fashioned putting money in the bucket, that's like old-fashioned. I know. I get it. Millennials, you have no cash on you. I hardly have cash on me. And I'm a Gen Xer. Uh, so I don't do that. I do the automatic debit from my account. I do that and I set it up and I let it go every single week and I increase it every time I get paid more money. So do that. Take advantage of one of those new technological marvels of giving and, and don't just wait for the bucket to come by this week to start tithing. Uh, I had a story actually come into me this week as well. On Monday morning, I got this email. The church got the email. I didn't get the email. A woman who has been part of our church for many years and um, she lost her job and she's been looking for a job for six or seven months or something like that. She said that. And she heard the message on Sunday and she said, man, I got to give before I get this job. No jobs were opening up. So she, out of her poverty, put $100 in, $100, okay, in faith. Guess what happened Monday morning? She got a job offer, (laughs) the first job offer in six months. Come on, friends. It works. When you trust God financially, it works. And I just wanted to brag on that because it's not me. It's God. God's saying, test me and you will see it will work. Amen. I'll probably share about that on the weekend too. So if you hear it again, don't get bored. Let's go on. Verse 15. But I have made no use of these rights. Okay, so now we got to re- kind of like recalibrate back to what, we've ta- what we're talking about in the talk. Paul says, I have the right to make money preaching the gospel, just like Peter and all the other apostles do. But I, Paul says, have made no use of these rights. In other words, I don't get paid. And he's, he, says this by, he says this to, um, to uh, indicate he deliberately chooses not to get paid by the churches to whom he ministers. This was Paul's personal choice. Make sure you understand that. Now, then he says, I am not writing these things to secure any provision from you. In other words, I'm not trying to cry poverty here. Paul was a tent maker. He was a tent maker by trade and he made his money and made his living by by making tents. So he's not trying to like guilt trip the Corinthians into giving. And I don't like to guilt trip people into giving either. If you feel guilty into giving, don't give. You should feel joyful and inspired and, and enlightened to give because you see the life change and you know the value of the kingdom of God in your community. So he's not trying to guilt trip them into giving, but then he says this, and I love this line. Look at what he says in verse 15. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Paul has come to a place in his life where he is totally committed to what he knows God has called him to do. 
He is totally committed to his, listen to this very carefully, Paul's specific personal calling. And for Paul, his specific personal calling was to preach the gospel free of charge. Again, a personal choice. Now, you say, well, why? Why is that so important to emphasize? Because, again, you have got to resolve in your life that you know what you were called to do so you don't waste your time worrying about what everybody else is called to do. I've said this on the weekends, and I want to say it here. I liken it to traffic. You ever get stuck in traffic? You ever get stuck in traffic? There's like four lanes of traffic. You're stuck in the middle, and then you see the lane on the left starts moving. What's the temptation? Let me jump lanes. And I do this all the time. If you ever see somebody driving around in this town and jumping like that's me. I'm sorry. God forgive me. I jump lanes. And, and here's what happens though. As soon as I jump lanes, that lane stops and the lane that I was in starts taking off. So I jump back into that lane. <laughs> and I'm always jumping lanes. That's how I drive. I'm sorry. God help. God, I'm still in the discipleship process. But here's, here's what you need to understand. In life, there are going to be moments where you're stopped and other people are moving forward. And then there's going to be, t- your time will come and, and other people will be stopped. But you got to stop jumping lanes and you got to stop obsessing about other people's lanes. In real traffic, I don't care. Jump lanes all you want. But in life's traffic, in your calling, please understand that your time will come. God has a time and a season for every purpose under the sun. Ecclesiastes 3.1. You've got to know this. You've got to know that God knows you and he knows what's right for you and when what is right for you is right for you. So you might be stuck in singleness. Your time will come. You might be stuck in a job you don't like and you really want that job over there that you do like. Your time will come. Be faithful where you are and trust the process of God's timing in your life. He knows what's best for you. Don't be jumping lanes. I remember in John chapter 21 when Peter is restored back to Jesus. This is John chapter 21. It's a funny story. And Jesus says, do you love me, Peter? He says, yes, I love you. He says, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you three times to restore him because he denied him three times. He says, if you love me, feed my sheep. And so they're walking along and, uh, and Jesus says to Peter, you know, Peter, when you were young, you used to go wherever you want, but now you're going to be led where you don't want to go. In other words, the gospel is going to take you places you don't really want to go. And that's your calling. And, and Peter obviously does not like this <laughs> because in John chapter 21, he looks back and he sees John the, post, John the apostle behind him, walking behind him and Jesus. And he says, well, what about him? What are you going to do with that guy over there, Lord? And Jesus says, you know what, Peter? If I want that guy to live until I come again, what is that to you? You follow me. You do what I've called you to do. And, 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 And it's a strong word for Peter. But then something funny happens. This is like the second to last verse in John's gospel. It says, therefore, a rumor spread among the disciples that this disciple would not die until Jesus came again. Isn't it funny? This is how human beings work, that they, they hear Jesus kind of like, speak hyperbolically and say, you know, even if I wanted to stay alive until I come again, what is that to you? And and if he did that, then John today would be like 2018 years old, 2038 years old. You know, uh, he's dead. Okay. But if he had done that, uh, again, it's a hyperbolic statement to say to Peter, don't worry about John. Worry about what I've called you to do. And I want to say that to you, Waters Church people or people watching on Facebook or listening on SoundCloud or the podcast or YouTube. You need to worry about what God has called you to do, not what God has called other people to do. And so um, here's what Paul says in, in verse 16. He says, if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. In other words, Paul says, I know 
that I have to do this. This is not something that I chose. Jesus chose me to do this. He knocked me down. He blinded me. He sent me off to get prayed for by some guy that I formerly wanted to kill named Ananias. And the scales fell from my eyes and my eyes were opened. And I went out and I knew this is what God has called me to do. And I'm just doing it. And I have no grounds for boasting for that. Because why? Because this is what my calling is. He says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am entrusted with stewardship. So he says, look, there is something that I have. I has, he, he's saying there is something that I have not chosen about my calling. And the, and the thing that I have not chosen is I am called to preach. But I have made a choice about one thing. And the one thing that I have chosen, this is uh, verse 18, when he says, what is my reward or what is my payment? That in preaching the gospel, I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full, full use of my rights in the gospel. He's like, I didn't have choice about um, preaching the gospel. That's what Jesus told me to do. But I did have a choice that I, hid, I had to make. I was free to earn money, but I chose strategically to not do so. That's my go- boast. That's my reward. I rejected following what I had the right to do for what God had, has called me to do. And so now the question that I want to answer, and I hope you're still with me, is this. What, for what reason did Paul reject getting paid by churches that he ministered to and literally started to preach the gospel? Why did he say no money? And he tells us. He tells us in verse 19, because he says this in verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became one as one under the law, uh, though I'm not under the law myself, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became like them to win them. Verse 22, to the weak, I became weak. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. And I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share it with them in its blessings. Here's what Paul says. He says, I know what my specific calling is. And it's not Peter's calling and it's not John's calling and it's not James' calling. It's not Philip's calling. It's not Stephen's calling. This is my calling. My calling is I need to be ready to go anywhere and to anyone with the gospel. And if I make money from one specific church, I then therefore cannot now go jumping ship from that church and run over to these people and preach the gospel to them. It wouldn't be fair to them. I need to be ready and open to wherever the Spirit may lead me. And that was Paul's specific calling. Because if you read the second half of the book of Acts, it's all about how Paul goes wherever God leads him. And sometimes the Holy Spirit literally had to speak to him and in a dream tell him where to go specifically. And so for that reason, he said, I can't in good conscience take money from these churches because I might not be here for very long. That was his calling. That's why he chose not to take money. Anyway, what does this have to do with you? Here's what it has to do with you. And it's really the last thing I want to say. That Paul submitted his rights to his God-given calling and responsibility, and he loved it. So if you're that rights person and you think, man, it's my right, and I have the right to do this, and I, and, and yeah, you have the right to get a tattoo, and you have the right to go dancing, and you have the right to drink alcohol, or you have the right to do this or that or the other thing. And no, Scripture doesn't clearly say that it's sin. But can I ask you this? Does it help you in your God-given calling? Because if it doesn't, you're wasting your time. Don't therefore then put those rules on somebody else because it might be okay for somebody else to do it. But for you, Christian, for you, child of God, for you, ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ, maybe you need to say no to some good things because you're so committed to your ultimate calling. Um, I just think that's the best way to live. I think that's the best way to live. For me personally, 
I think it comes as no secret. I would rather live in warm weather. Oh, gosh. I would rather live in warm weather. But I'm up here in Massachusetts freezing with all of you. Of course, not this year. It's fake winter. But I'm up here because God's called me to be here. And I, and, and, and I love what I do here. And I love this church and I love this area. And so, no, no, no. Yeah, I do have the right to move. If I want to move, yeah, I do have the right. But I'd rather say no to that so I can say yes to this. I can say yes to what God has called me to do. And I see the fruit and I see the 15 baptisms and I see the people being raised up in ministry here. I'm so excited to be part of what God is doing here. And I love it. I love it. I love saying no to what I have the right to do so that I can say yes to what I'm called to do. And it is the best kind of life I can imagine. And I hope it's true or will be true for you. Surrender your right. Surrender your rights for what is ultimately in your sights. Amen. Questions? Yes, we have four questions. Uh, the first question is, what are examples of callings besides the preaching of the word? Yeah, great question. Oh, man, there's all kinds of callings, and I can't name them all, honestly. Um, you know, I always think about that great story of Martin Luther, who was asked by a shoemaker um, because he felt guilty that he was just a shoemaker. He said, how, how, can, I, how can I be a shoemaker and, uh, and be used by God? And Martin Luther said, make better shoes. Make better shoes. So, you know, if you make, if you make a great product, make a great product to the glory of God. Uh, make such a great product, if you're in the product-making business, that people say, man, this place is the best place to go and have those things, to go and get those things. If you want to buy shoes, go there. If you want to buy sneakers, you got to go over there. If you want to buy uh, clothes, you got to go to that shop. So, you know, do it amazingly because what you do there is you do two things. Number one, you take pride in the material blessings of the world which God has created, Okay, and we are called to cultivate creation. That was the original cultural mandate given to Adam and Eve in the garden. Remember that the, the Bible begins with a garden and ends with a city. It begins with a garden and ends with a city. How does a city, how does a garden become a city? Because of cultivation, because people create things and industry and buses and cars and buildings and skyscrapers and planes and spaceships. Okay, this is not, those things are not, not spiritual. Everything in the world is created by God. And please don't get um, to this point where you, you, uh, you divide. Like there's spiritual real callings like Pastor Tim has. And then there's my kind of non-spiritual calling of being a, uh, I don't know, of being a, a receptionist or being a, uh, a janitor or being a school teacher. No, 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 no. I could never be your thing. I could never be your thing. And God's not going to hold me accountable to your thing. God's going to hold me accountable to my thing. He's going to hold you accountable to what your thing is. So I would say this. Your calling is whatever you got right now in front of you and God has given you to do. Do it with all your heart, bringing glory to God and using it as Christian witness in the cultural mandate of, of making the earth better for many, many people. Um, people tell me personal things and they don't know why. Could my calling be listening, which could be comforting to others? Yeah, absolutely. Again, that's, that's God giving you that thing um, for the benefit of people who need to talk. Um, and I would say, uh, you know, maybe for us as a church, I just jealously think this, uh, rightly, there's a right jealousy, there's a bad jealousy, this is a right jealousy. I think like, man, maybe you need to think about small group leadership. Or if you're not in small group membership, get a small group membership and then start to apprentice to be a small group leader because maybe you need to be leading more than just the people that randomly come up to you. But I would say this, um, yeah, if, you, if people come to you and they tell you stuff, uh, first off, you've probably, tr you've probably proved yourself trustworthy uh, to not tell people everything that they tell you, which is a gift because not, <laughs> not everybody has that gift. Um, uh, but secondly, you know, you, yeah, you are obviously approachable. 
and people feel comfortable with you, and that's a gift. That's a gift. Uh, some people, you just know. You look at them, you say, I could never tell that person something because they're not gifted, they're not approachable. So yeah, that could be a gift. It could be a calling. But I would say, okay, listen, if that's, it might be a little bit, it might be a little seed, a little seedling of a calling to to do greater things and bigger things. And maybe, maybe uh, whether it be small group leadership or maybe some kind of full-on counseling um, uh, uh, job or opportunity, maybe that's for you. It's for, it's, that's the adventure of life. So next question. Uh, someone referenced Luke chapter 22, verse 36, and they asked, what does this mean? Oh, Luke 22, 36. I'm sorry, I don't have Luke memorized yet. <laughs> it says, um, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and yeah. let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. Yeah, because Jesus knew that, um, and, and this is the multifaceted nature of the gospel, in some, in some seasons the gospel will uh, be peacefully proclaimed, and in some seasons, it will not be. Now, that's later in Luke's gospel, and they're headed to Jerusalem. Uh, they're headed to the southern regions of Israel. In the northern regions, and now just in Israel, so I can explain this very clearly to you. In Jesus' day, the northern part of Israel is a lot more peaceful than the southern part of Israel. is a lot more hotly contested and contentious. And the animosity towards Jesus in the north is not there. As he slowly moves down into Jerusalem, he knows he's moving into the lion's den, and they're going to put him to death. So... He's telling them, look, it's not going to be the same up here in the north as it is down there in the south. Um, it's not going to be down. It's not going to be the same down here in the south as it is up there in the north. So be ready. And that's the case even still today. There are some ministers that have to literally physically defend themselves as they preach the gospel. There were times in the book of Acts where Paul has to take legal measures and strategic um, law measures to defend himself from his accusers. And then there were times where he was miraculously saved from those who would try to put him to death. God uses both supernatural and natural means uh, for the gospel presentation. But, but don't think that that now becomes a once-for-all once saying that now we have to always be aggressive and defensive. No. In America, we don't have to be aggressive and defensive. We may need to get there someday, but right now it's very easy and very peaceable to preach the gospel in our churches in America today. Next question. All right. Last but not least, does your calling also have to be your career? Uh, no, not at all. It can be, um, but there's, there's, um, there's so many people that they just don't have that opportunity. Uh, and for, for me personally, my calling and career is to preach the gospel, but that does not therefore now eliminate me, you know, from having to be a Christian <laughs> to everybody that I come in contact with. And so, too, for you, uh, your career, your moneymaker, uh, it may not be your spiritual passion. But again, don't divide, don't, don't compartmentalize what you have been spiritually anointed by God to do and what you have physically been called by God or given by God to do. You, there is no, if you're a Christian, and I say this all the time, and I want to emphasize it here, if you're a Christian, there is no sacred and secular uh, delineation. There is no sacred and secular delineation. That means you're a Christian. Everything that you're involved in is part of God's sacred calling on your life. Every child whose diaper you changed to every sprocket you sell at your business. <laughs> it is a spiritual issue. And, um, you know, so if you're just selling sprockets or changing diapers, you've got to do that. Uh, but you also are accountable to the calling of God to be a Christian, love your neighbor, love your, you know, love God 
And then, yeah, there's spiritual gifts that God has placed on your life, on everyone's life. And you can find those. Um, did we get a question about how to find my gift? Because I thought we were going to get one about how to find my calling. No? Uh, someone asked, how do you know when it is your calling? Yeah, all right, great. <laughs> I had to like feed that one for you. But it's, it's, it's a great question. I was hoping I would get this one. Here's how I think you find your calling. You look at what God has put in front of you and you do it. And what, you, what God put in front of you may look totally like unspiritual, totally like, no, what are you talking about? This is so far removed from spiritual things. I couldn't possibly see this as something that God has put in front of me. Okay, then you've got to look at the life of Joseph. Um, Joseph was the son that was called on by his father to look after his brothers. Now, they hated him for it. Where did it end up, Joseph? It ended up, he ended up in a, in a pit, and then he ended up sold into slavery. And as he's a slave in Potiphar's house, guess what happens? He becomes second in command there. So second in command in his father's house, he gets bad for it. He gets second in command in Potiphar's house, and by the way, he gets accused of rape and goes to prison. And so he's now in prison, and he becomes second in charge in the prison. Now, Joseph, in this prison moment, could have said, working in a prison is so unspiritual. It is so far removed from God's dream and calling on my life. And he could have despised that moment, but he doesn't. He does everything in that prison as best as he can, and God blesses him. And because he serves well in the prison, the right moment for his lane, his traffic lane to open up is opened, and he goes from the prison to the palace in one day. Now, we ultimately know that that is talking about Jesus. We ultimately know that Jesus is the one who went from the prison of death to the right-hand side of God the Father in one day. We all know that. But it also is a principle for God's people to learn to, to, to see whatever God puts in your hand and do it as best as you can for as long as you can and trust that the doors and the, and the purposes and the reasons for why God has put that in your hand will come to fruition one way or another eventually. So I would say this, take a good hard look at what God has put in your hand and do it as best as you can. And I guarantee you, over time, as you grow in Christ and you come to church and you learn the word and you pray and you read your Bible and you get more and more discipled in Christ, you're going to have the spiritual eyes to see the spiritual calling or the sacred calling of the material thing he has put in your hand. Next question? Nope, that's it. That's it. Yep. Well, I hope you have enjoyed this, just the two of us today, for the Deep End Podcast. I have enjoyed it myself. Um, don't let what you have the right to do trump what you were called to do. I hope you can take that to the bank and grow to do that just like Paul did it. And I, by God's grace, hope to do it as well. Thanks for joining us for this week's Deep End Podcast. We pray that you continue to grow in your faith and that you would serve and support your local church. If you don't already have a church home, we invite you to join us this weekend at Waters Church. We are located at 57 John Deach Square in North Attleboro, Massachusetts. And you can join us every Saturday at 4 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11.30 a.m. Make sure to stay tuned in for next week's episode of The Deep End Podcast.